Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and I'm joined today by my co-editor, Greg Mitchell. Just the two of us today. It's been a little bit since we've done a podcast together like this. It's like getting the old band back together here. I like it. It's like well, That's like three years ago right now. It was yeah. our first kind of, it was just the two of us. Yeah, it make, makes me a little nostalgic. I know. And before. at that point, you could actually, folks could listen live and call in. Yeah. And we had one person yeah, actually call in. Shout out Mark Gump. Yeah. yeah. Those are the days. Yeah, but before we got all these other clowns involved. Yeah, I know. Way um, more talent than me, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> complain about that. Not true, not true. So it was a bit of a slow week in college basketball. We have, you know, exams finishing up, semester break, um, about to hit. Most teams are gonna play maybe one or two games between now and Christmas. Uh, but there are some things to talk about. Um I was in Newark over the weekend at the Prudential Center where Villanova defeated Delaware 78-70. to By the time this is published, a piece will be up on the site uh, that I wrote today about the Blue Hens and about their potential to maybe come out of the CAA and what needs to happen and all that. Uh, but figured we could talk about them on here briefly mainly because you know they were they've been I guess one of the surprise teams in mid-major basketball and we haven't probably given them the time that they've deserved they started off 9-0 and best start in program history before going out on the road last week losing at George Washington not a good loss but you know on the road to an A-10 school it's certainly forgivable and then on a neutral to Villanova um, the other day. And that was the first time I had gotten a chance to really see them in person. I think ever, actually, not just this year. And I came away pretty impressed with them as a team for a number of reasons. Um, number one, and it's something that normally I don't really think too much about um, or maybe think about less than a lot of other people do about how experienced this team is. I usually think that could be a little overrated, maybe rated higher than talent when it shouldn't be. Um, but I came away with the impression that the experience on this Delaware team is really going to help them moving forward. And the reason I say that is because after the game, you know, Martin Inglesby, head coach came into the interview room, did his, you know, normal thing that you would expect from a coach. You know, we disappointed that we didn't win the game, but I thought we did X, Y, and Z really well, blah, blah, blah. Then Nate Darling, the star of the team, a 6'5", junior transfer from UAB, and their point guard, Kevin Anderson, came in. And they really impressed me in, in what they were saying, talking about, how this was a game that they expected to win, that they, they thought they could. They're confident in themselves. And I'll talk about their guard play in, in a bit, starting with the two of them, because I think that that's important as well. Uh, but then somebody asked them about their next game. And that next game is Monday night against Delaware State, one of the worst teams in Division One. They were also one of the worst teams in Division One last year, and they beat Delaware. 
coming off of what had been actually a pretty impressive stretch for the Blue Hens. And Darling and Anderson were very, very clear that they were not ready to let that happen again. Uh, Darling said that that game was left to taste in his mouth that will be there forever. Um, And they were not going to make the same mistake two years in a row of kind of overlooking an in-state rival. And, And it impressed me because it wasn't just the kind of typical lip service that you get where, yeah, we, we don't look overlook any opponent. We come ready to play, blah, blah, blah. Like they, they were serious and you could tell that last year's loss really meant something to them. And I think it was just another example of what happens when you have a team that's been together for a while, the way this team has. And I know Darling didn't play last year. He was a red shirt, um, but he practiced with the team. He was with the team all year. And then the other guys, Anderson, Ryan Allen, um, Justin Mutz, sorry, not Mutz, Mutz uh, was a redshirt last year as well. I'm thinking of Colin Goss. They all did play in that game and, and they know what needs to happen for them to reach their potential. So that, that's one of the reasons I was really impressed with them. And then I'm going to talk about this in the, in the piece as well. Their guard plays really, really good. Uh, Darling said after the game that he thinks they have the best backcourt in the country. Um, I think that yeah, and that's in. Yeah, I was going to ask you because yep. he he had like an awesome game in that game, and it seemed like you know it, you know when it was up close when it was up close and personal, did he kind of match up with those uh, Villanova players? Was he like on par with them? I mean, I imagine it looked like it based on the box score. Yeah, he he got there, but at the beginning of the game, not so much. Colin Gillespie was on him, and he was playing uh, Darling really really tight. And, and part of what impressed me about Delaware as a team was that when that happened that's when Kevin Anderson was able to get going. Um, they, they pressured Darling and, um, and the guard so closely that Anderson was able to make moves to the basket. And he was four for four from the field in the first half with three layups. And that kind of gave Delaware the spark early until they were able to get looks for, for Darling, who I'd say for maybe the last five minutes of the first half onto the rest of the game, like looked like one of the best shooters in the country. And mm-hmm. I think the numbers are kind of bearing that out. Um, pardon me, bearing that out so far. Um, and, and I think Darling Anderson and Ryan Allen play off of each other really well, which is something else that kind of helps. I mean, Darling, for example, the worst game he played this season was against Stony Brook a few weeks ago. And then that same night, it happened to be, I think, Allen's best game. Like they kind of balance each other out in that way. And because of that, they were really... Um, they're really impressive, and I think that backcourt is going to be the best in the Colonial, or maybe not the best in the country, like Darling says, but I understand why he's saying it. No, so, you know, in the CAA, it seems like there's always, like, these star backcourt players, and that seems to always, like, be the magic thing you need, whether it was a Justin Wright Foreman last year, or, like, all the guys Northeastern has had over the years. So sounds like that that could be the thing potentially this year in that yeah, league. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking about Delaware now, but I think – the same sort of discussion we could have about Hofstra again this year with uh, Dejir Bowie, uh, their 5'11 point guard, who's been kind of the star of that team. Him and Eli Pemberton, who's a, a wing, kind of a, let me see, Ken Palm has him at small forward, but, you know, he he can play two or the three as well. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic in the CAA. It's something you see all the time, and I think this year is no different. Mm-hmm. 
how was the atmosphere at that game? Were there a lot of Delaware fans there? Because I know I know we've had a few in our mentions on uh, Twitter that are really excited. Obviously, I imagine the whole fan base is excited. But with that with that being kind of like a regional rivalry, was that was that palatable? Yeah, um, the the crowd as a whole wasn't spectacular, but Villanova and Delaware both brought good fan bases with them. Uh, Delaware had had a great cheering section, and and after the game, um, it, Martin Inglesby actually said it felt like an NCAA tournament kind of atmosphere. Because it was, you know, mm-hmm. neutral court, both teams bringing a lot of fans. And, and it was it was a lot of fun. And Delaware fans, rightfully so, are really excited about this team. Now, answer me, the simple a Midwesterner, this question. What What is the Prudential Center and how hard was it for you to get to? <laughs> I've actually been there a few times this year. It's, it's not hard at all. Uh, Prudential Center is in Newark. It is where Seton Hall plays its home games. Uh, mm, okay. former uh, The home of the New Jersey Devils. See, now I learned. And, and, I learned and it's right off of the uh, right off of the train, uh, off of new out of Newark Penn Station. Maybe about a five minute walk from there. Uh, so real easy to get to, and it's it's a nice venue. See, I'm jealous. You have all the venues. You have so many venues around. I, got, I have it's, more it's, venues it's, than you. It makes believe. me incredibly jealous. I've got all the venues. I I I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, but weren't you at the Fog this week? Uh, I was at the Fog a couple ago. weeks ago. Yeah, it is. It is right down the street yeah. from my house, See, that's the as as one of our, our yeah one of our co-editors likes to point out. It's not it's like an hour away, um, which <laughs> is not bad. But other than that, that that's that's yeah. I don't I, I don't have much, but I make do with what I have. Yeah, I've been to one game at the Fog, and it was life altering. It okay. I thought that it it does not feel when you're in it. Like okay, the atmosphere is is as advertised. I feel like when you're in it, but just when you look around, it doesn't feel like a large like fifteen thousand seat arena. And probably because they have a bleacher that's seating, why. but it it feels and that's probably why the atmosphere is the way it is. But it, it feels like a fe- it actually feels like you're in yeah. a field house, which it is. So it should. But no, but you're exactly right, and it's like visibly. This is going to sound really stupid. It's visibly an old building, and you can tell. And yeah. that just kind of adds to the charm a little bit and probably makes it feel a little smaller than it is because, you know, when buildings like that were constructed, people's asses weren't quite as big. So the mm-hmm. seats are all closer together. Uh, yeah. Yes. That, this is groundbreaking stuff. That we're yeah, doing I, on this pod. I can't believe I just said that on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um. So... That's my spiel about Delaware. Good team. Um, I think next we wanted to talk about Liberty because the Flames are now 12-0 and on the season. They are. It is the best 12-0 and you will ever see. <laughs> it is it is 12-0. and We'll put it that way. Uh, they, they beat Vanderbilt 61-56 on Saturday. Um, their best win of the year on the road. Um Vanderbilt ranked number 129 in Ken Palm. Interesting discussion. And a team, a team which absolutely knows what it wants to do on offense <laughs> on every possession. Is that sarcasm? Because I did not watch the second of that game. Okay. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, um, I watched the second half and Vanderbilt um, just, it, it didn't seem like they had a plan. Obviously they've got a first year coach in uh, Jerry Stackhouse God, that's um, weird. and our team that are uh, coming off a winless, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I had totally forgot. I totally forgotten that um, until I was watching that game. I just assumed that a Bryce a Drew was just happily. I remember. I, I remember now reading about it in the off season, but I, I assumed that's where Bryce a Drew was still just happily 
hanging out. Um, but but yeah, no, obviously they're like a rebuilding team and coming off a winless SEC campaign last year. But um, you know, I think this is something that uh, Chris wrote in the water uh, cooler for tomorrow. Um, but you know, it, it it yes, they, they beat an SEC an SEC team on the road, but the, it was not yeah. an upset uh, by any means. Um, so if that's what they can hang their hat on now, I mean, they've, it, they have not beaten a top one, one twenty nine Ken Palm team to this point. Um, which is honestly to get to 12 and 0 and be able to say that is, is a pretty impressive. And it's not, it's not, you know, if, if you look at their schedule, it's not really a product of, okay, they scheduled certain teams and those teams underperform this year. Um, it it makes sense. I mean, I guess Vanderbilt you'd expect to be a little bit higher than that. Canyon, a Grant a Canyon. I mean, they went they went to Phoenix and played that game. I guess you'd expect that might have been a little bit harder. None of these um, other teams. But other than no, yeah. So you know, I it's if that's if that's how you want to schedule, that's great. Um, and obviously, when you're Liberty, you're not scheduling right. for at larges. Um, Although, but but you know, it's, we had it's a not, discussion a lot last year about a two bid A Sun. We did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is that, was that negligence then on their part, not scheduling better, knowing that, because they do have, and this is something about their roster that I find really interesting. They have a lot of guys that have been in the program like for four years, um, you know, which is not like Scotty James is a senior. He's only played there. Uh, Maya Bexterbell is a senior, has only played there. Uh, and Caleb Holmesley is a senior, has only played there. Um, so th- that seems like something that you don't really see nowadays. And obviously, after last year, maybe this was something you can anticipate a little bit more and try to schedule up. And again, I don't know the practical realities of actually making that happen, um, especially on like a year over year basis. But I would think it is a bit, yeah, as exciting to their fans as the start is. It has to feel a little bit frustrating as well, subconsciously maybe, that you really don't have a shot at an at large. Yeah, really. and I, I'm hesitant to ever really knock a coach of an A Sun team for not scheduling up. <laughs> Because that, that just sounds no, like sure, yeah, yeah, and that's what I was trying to say. Like, it, it was almost like the perfect storm, you know, of if, if you could have picked up a few few games sure. here or there. Um, again, I, th- these things are laid far in advance. They do play LSU um, at the end of the month, so there is a chance for a really nice win. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I guess, I'm just saying that the way the schedule fell, however it fell, I, I, if I was, I'd feel a slight. It's happy I would be if I was a Liberty fan. Um, and I'm happy I'm not, uh, you know, that, that it's that, well, we're undefeated. This is great, but it's like, okay, we're still down to yeah. one day in March. Right. Like that's, that's really all. And, and they may have a great season. They may have a historic season win however many games, but um, if you want to get back to the tournament, it's still, you're still going to be playing that, that same game. Yeah. In March and now. you know, that, that game at LSU, it realistically, if Liberty wants to be in that at large conversation, ha- they have to win that game. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Because, I mean, look at how bad the A-Sun is this year. And it's, I mean, it's never yeah. great, but the only other team aside from Liberty that's in the, I guess net, there are two other top 200 teams, North Florida at 198 and Lipscomb at 199. I mean, that's wild. And in, by the time people that, listen yeah, to this that, podcast, that yeah, may not be the case anymore, daily. right? Like, they may all be, might yeah. not be the case at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the A-Sun is terrible. So it, it will actually be an interesting case. Liberty will be, assuming they make the NCAA tournament, assuming they win the A-Sun tournament, um, as far as where they get seated. Like, let's say 
let's say they lose that game to LSU and then they drop two somewhere along the way in the A-Sun just because it happens when you play a lot of games. Sometimes you lose. If they go into Mm -hmm. the NCAA tournament with three losses and their best win is at a Vanderbilt team that probably won't even sniff the NIT, it'll be really interesting to see where they're seated and to see how much things like the net will be taken into account because I'd be willing to bet the um, efficiency numbers for Liberty will actually look pretty good because they already do. I mean, this, this is a team that ranks in the top 100 in offensive and defensive efficiency. Uh, eighth best in effective field goal percentage defense, uh, 18th in effective field goal percentage, one of the top teams in turnover percentage. Um, I mean, their Ken Palm page, it's, it's filled with green right now. So, like, objectively mm-hmm. in that way, like, they're a good team, even if it hasn't been against the best competition. And then even, like, in the Vanderbilt game um, in the second half, uh, Vanderbilt had made a run, and I, I like, 49-48 sticks out in my mind. I don't have that great a memory, but I think I think Vanderbilt was, like, down for, much, for most of the game. It had taken, like, a one-point lead pretty late in the game, and you could just see that, like, the Flames knew what they wanted to do. Like, they 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 showed that they were an experienced team who had won a game in the NCAA tournament last year, and they just they – didn't, they didn't flinch. They controlled the game throughout, and it was really – was, you know, even though it was only a five-point win, it was – you know, for the last five or so minutes was like very comfortable. Um, so yeah, they, they've got the metrics and it seems like the experience factor is absolutely paying off for them. So they're, they're not a team. I don't think, I, I don't think anybody wants to play, especially if they're on that high of a, of a line. Um, but like, I, I feel like we're going down the path, like the New, the New Mexico state conversation oh that we seem yep. not going to have this year, but we seem to have every year. Um, that seems to be we. I, I a month from now, I could absolutely sing us have that conversation. Um, I guess maybe not. Like a month and a half from now, uh, um, as we get into February, if they're if they're gonna, I mean, if they win at LSU, then it really ramps up. But let's say they lose that game and then don't, you know, we're like three fourths of the way through uh, through the conference season, they haven't lost. Like we're gonna start having that conversation that we constantly have with New Mexico State, where it's like, how can you leave a team out that has you know, this many wins if all they have is uh, uh, two losses. Yeah, um, a, a couple things on that. No, number one, and I, I don't talk about this on the podcast very often because why would I? Um, but I think I have mentioned it here before. I, I went to NYU. I've covered NYU basketball, you know, as a student journalist and now as their broadcaster. That that's in, in New York City. You may have heard of it. Um, oh, oh, but okay. I've covered yeah, them okay, in gotcha. one way or another for a decade now. Their men's and women's basketball teams. And my big frustration with their men's teams was that they would usually be very talented, but they would schedule the worst teams in the non-conference. And the thing I would always say is, I just I feel bad for the student athletes because they're not being put in a position to succeed. Like, and taking the fact that this is Liberty and everything that goes with that out of this for a second, um, you, you kind of have to have, or you would have to have sympathy for players who um, are doing everything right. Like you, you couldn't have realistically asked for these players to do anything more this year, but I don't know if they can be rewarded for that or how much they could be rewarded for that because the situation they were put in is that they're playing against terrible teams now, and they're going to play against terrible teams in conference play begins. Yeah, no. 
And then, you know, you do get the whole aspect of last year. I think one of their proving grounds right. is that uh, Lipscomb was so good. And we, and, and we had and we had that kind of a barometer for both teams. And as you said, with the way the conference is, we just right. we don't exactly. have that this year. And, and I will say that I'm, I'm going to get out ahead of this now because I will bet you anything. This is a conversation we're having in March. Uh, let's say, you know, Liberty is in the NCAA tournament. And because of their resume, they are a 14 seed. They are going to be a they're it's brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. They're going to be a trendy upset pick because everybody knows that they are on the court better than a 14 seed, even though that's maybe the seed that they earned. And let's say just looking at Kempom right now, let's say they're matched up against Oregon as a three seed. A lot of people are going to pick Liberty as the upset because they're a good team, completely forgetting that Oregon is objectively better. So I'm going to say right now, just because you think they're underrated on the seed line doesn't mean you need to pick them to win a first round game. Look at that. You're getting the bracket. You're, you're getting bracket advice here in December, in mid December, every single year. And it happens a lot on the five twelve yeah. line too. Cause everyone wants to pick a five twelve upset forgetting that yeah. the 12th seated team is seated 12th for a reason. And the five seated team is seated five for a reason. Like usually the higher seed wins the game and there are smart upsets yeah. to pick for various reasons. But usually the better team wins, and in this example, Oregon is better than Liberty, even if it's not by the margin that their seating would suggest. That's all I've said yeah. about that. Um, yeah. No, I'm writing oh, yeah, it down. Please hold do. on a please second. Hold me to okay. that. Okay, I've got it. I've got it written down. Okay, it, I got it written and down. I reserve the right to change my mind. You know, if seating and teams and matchups are different. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, because this is December. We will talk more NCAA tournament stuff in just a minute. Hell but yes. first, let's take a quick break. We're back here on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. It is never too early to talk about at-large resumes, especially knowing that the our first net rankings are coming this week. And, Greg, I know there's one team in particular that you wanted to talk about, um, a team that started the year kind of off of our radar, to be honest, um, but now might be looking like the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that is the Northern Iowa Panthers. Yeah, and if I if I had said to you before the season that we'd be discussing a hashtag NVC, what would you say to that? I would say Missouri State, and then who? Yeah, maybe exactly. Loyola, that- maybe Bradley. Yeah, it, but it I, I would get something... to I would get to Northern Iowa at some point. I mean, they, they were point. supposed to be solid, but yeah, wouldn't have been the no, first or second team. No, and that's and I don't, you know, I don't think that 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 league having two bids was something we ever threw around as possibility. And um, you know, I I always I find the Missouri Valley super fascinating because I think in in the back of your mind, you know, instinctually you think, okay, that that's a really strong mid major league. And that's a, you know, if, if there's going to be a league that'll send more than one team, that's one of, that's a great, that's a prime a candidate. Mm-hmm. And it's, it still is. It's just obviously since uh, they have not had two teams since uh, Wichita state left, um, obviously had the final four team in Loyola. Yep. Um, but, but it's, it's, I feel like it's important for the Valley to not for this lull, if you can call it that to last that long, where you've kind of got a lot of teams that are okay, you know, 150-ish and Ken Palmer up, but no one really emerging as like the the star team. Again, I know the irony of that because they did have a team in the final four, but um I think I but think everybody right. understands that what that run was. Right. Um so 
Yeah, I think it's it's important that they kind of that the for the league to reestablish itself in that in that way sooner rather than later. Northern Iowa now, uh, per Martin Horvick's uh, attorney cast, has a twenty eight point seven percent chance of an at large. That was helped immensely uh, last week with a huge win over then I believe ranked twenty fourth in the AP poll, uh, Colorado yeah. in Boulder. Um, where they scored the last six points of the game, had a dramatic steal by Spencer Haldeman um, in the last few seconds um, uh, to win the game. Um, they then went uh, to a Grand Canyon and completely obliterated the Lopes. Um, it, it was not not even, uh, I mean, it was not even close. Um, after the game, Dan Marley was upset that his, his guys uh, couldn't make a shot, so he thought they, they should just yeah. make shots, that, that that would be easier. Yeah if they did that, but they, they, on that day didn't. Um, so yeah. And, and before the Colorado game on tourney cast, they had a 0.8% chance of an at large. So it was a huge week for them. And, you know, if we look at their resume, uh, they, they started the year six and oh, and again, like you said, they weren't on our radar. They were picked third in the valleys, uh, in the valleys, a uh, preseason poll, um, pretty far behind Missouri state and uh, Bradley who were one and two. Um, but since then, they've beaten South Carolina. Again, that's a win that is not going to yield as much as it probably would in other years. They control the game against West Virginia that uh, they probably should have won, um, but but they lost by five. And now they have the huge road win at Colorado. So with that statement win, they don't really have any other opportunities. They just play a, a Marshall at home uh, to end their non-com before they get into, into Valley play. So, you know, they'd have to run up a pretty gaudy record in the Valley, I think, because as we said, there really aren't that many statement opportunities this year. Um, but, but yeah, they, they have at least, they, they have a chance at this point, which I don't think was something we were expecting before the year. Yeah. Now clarifying question for you. And I, I'm not sure if you know this, when you say mm-hmm. Northern Iowa has a 28% chance at an at large, according to Bart Torvik, is that taking into account the fact that they might get the auto bid? I, yes, okay. I believe it is because so he's got he's got and again I wish I knew more about this but I I am an idiot. Um, they, so he's got them with a sixty percent chance of, of being in the field. Okay, and that's and that's a forty four percent chance of getting the auto bid, twenty eight percent of an at large. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and a few teams that are underneath them in terms of at large chance, and again this does probably factor in, um, you know, the leagues they're in, obviously. Would be St. Mary's, uh, Liberty, uh, Richmond, and Rhode Island. So St. Mary's is a team that I don't think at any point in this season we would have thought uh, Northern Iowa has you know a resume at least to this point that's stronger than them. Yeah, this, um, like this feels like it's five years ago right now. Like that's exactly, really weird. Yeah, um, and and th- like as I was as I I wrote a, a a quick thing on them last week and kind of was going through Ben uh, Jacobson. Obviously, a historic coach there, right? Yeah. Um, he's a guy who I feel like somebody probably should have given a chance to. You know, at the high major level, um, maybe regionally, um, maybe Missouri, but um, <laughs> it, it you know he he's he's been there so long now since uh, 2007, and the last three years you know they 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 had kind of fallen far below what they'd been. They went nine and nine in league play last year, seven eleven the year before, and then nine and nine the year before that. Um, you know, and that's obviously acceptable. He's had so many good teams there. Um, but it, it just kind of shows that, you know, sometimes that patience, um, especially with a guy you would expect it with a guy who's been that long and succeeded as much as he has, 
But yeah, I mean, I think there are certain places where you get underwhelming like that for three years, probably get an administration that starts to get a little bit nervous and maybe makes a bad decision. But and who knows how this year will end up. But it's just, you know, it kind of shows that sometimes you have lulls like that and you can bounce back from them. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend to be really tuned into what the Northern Iowa fan base is saying. But I do know he is very highly regarded in MVC circles, and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of extrapolating from that a little bit in terms of, you know, what the expectations are at Northern Iowa, what the program's been. Um, When you ask people nationally what the best conferences are outside of, like, the normal power structure, you know, they'll say the A-10 and the Missouri Valley, even if the last couple of years, the MVC hasn't been great. And and I think that there are two reasons for that. Number one is obviously the teams that have been in it before that have since moved on, like Creighton and Wichita State that have obviously been really, really good. The other reason is because pretty much every one of these schools has tremendous fan support. And Northern Iowa is no exception. I mean, these... These fan bases absolutely love college basketball. They sell out their arenas, and it makes Arch Madness uh, every March one of the really fun events in college basketball. And and for that reason, a lot of these programs are very appealing to recruits who maybe were overlooked by, like you mentioned, maybe a Missouri or another SEC, Big 12, Big 10 school. Uh, and, and that's why you get so many of these schools pretty competitive most years. I mean, if, mm-hmm. looking at the, the Missouri Valley right now, and maybe other than Northern Iowa, they don't have like a very clear at large candidate, uh, though, you know, there's still a long way to go. But like most of these schools are, are holding their own. Like Loyola Chicago is a borderline top 100 team. So is Bradley. Uh, Missouri State has struggled early, but we know how much talent they have. Like there's a lot of talent in this league, as there always is, and even when they aren't as strong as they've been in the past, like the MVC has a lot going for it, and it always has. Oh yeah, no yeah, and I didn't mean to say that it that uh, does not. I was just no, I know. you know when you think about right before Wichita State left, and you had those kind because I I think it was like a top fifteen matchup between Northern Iowa and, and uh, Wichita State mm-hmm. at some point. Um, what was that four or five years ago? Um, like that kind of height of just kind of like the national prominence in that way is not there. And again, that's more of a Wichita State Northern Iowa thing and that they had great teams, but Indiana State was, you know, really competitive back then. Um, you know, so was Evansville. They had a, uh, uh, a run there for a few years. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic league. And I think a lot of these, as you said, there's fantastic potential at each school to explode um, at any time. And, you know, we've seen it with Loyola in the Final Four. We saw it with Southern Illinois, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they were unbelievably competitive. So it's it's a, it's a really fascinating league. Um, and I just think, I, I think it's really important that you you have a team like uh, Northern Iowa potentially emerging now on, on uh, you know, at, at the at-large table um, so, so you can, you know, find yourself again with maybe two bids if you, you know, if things fall right. And we need to get uh, Harry back on the podcast to talk about the M- – MVC like fireside chats oh, with he's, uh, Harry, yeah, he's right? awesome. which are the best. Yeah. Yeah. No, we do. Absolutely. So seamless transition here. Speaking of really good mid major leagues, uh, Southern conference had its best season ever last year. 
it's not at the same level this year, of course, but it's still pretty good. And the top three teams, Furman, East Tennessee State, UNC Greensboro, all very good. Um, Wofford, a team that last year finished number 18 in Ken Palm, won a game in the NCAA tournament, pushed Kentucky to the limit uh, in the round of 32. They lost their head coach, Mike Young, went to Virginia Tech. They lost their star, right, Fletcher McGee. Um, also lost Cameron Jackson. So you would expect a step back. And, you know, that they lost four games before Thanksgiving. So that kind of happened. But then they go out today, they win at North Carolina, 68-64 at Carmichael. Um, this... And I think people are generally saying that this says a little bit more about where North Carolina is right now. Um, Tar Heels have lost four out of five. They're not a very good team offensively right now. Cole Anthony is hurt out for an indefinite period of time, et cetera, et cetera. I get that, and that's probably true. But look at Wofford right now sitting at seven and four. Win at North Carolina. Three out of their four losses are to major conference teams. Um, If you are a Wofford fan and you know that this year maybe you don't quite fit in with the top tier of that league and you know that you've lost your two best players from last year, you lost your head coach, you're hoping that, you know, I mean, you're, you're a successful program overall and you're hoping to one day be mentioned, you know, among those top mid-major programs, like kind of in the tier of the, I don't, I don't want to say Gonzaga, but like, you know, the VCUs, the Davidsons, whatever. If you want that, you need a level of continuity and you need a certain amount of being able to stay on the national radar. And obviously you were there last year. Everyone remembers uh, Fletcher. Everyone remembers that game against Seton Hall in the tournament. You go and you win at North Carolina, no, no matter what North Carolina is doing on their end, like that raises your profile nationally. It gives your team a little bit of confidence as well. Like you really do have to applaud them for that win, um, even if it doesn't necessarily mean as much as it would normally, you know, winning at UNC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, they they were one of a few teams that, you know, uh, Buffalo included that understandably went with the uh, uh, continuity hire when, when their uh, coach left and um, hired a guy who had uh, been an assistant and Jay McCauley already, you know, less than half a season into his first season as a head coach has a statement win, has something he can go on the road and talk about that he did, you know, as the head coach. That's, that's huge too, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, hats off to them and, um, Look who they play <laughs> next, because that would be <laughs> now that that probably not going to win at a Cameron Indoor. Uh, Stephen but, F. Austin um, did it. Certainly, now there's a uh, they another, did. And another as, team. As, as, where are they ranked in the? Uh, they are ranked where another? Uh, they are in the other top twenty-five. But but I will say this for Stephen F. Austin though, they were everyone knows who Stephen F. Austin is because of the Thomas Walkup teams because they went to the NCAA tournament and they won. And now they come back and they win at Duke and we remember who they are. Like they're building their profile yeah. as a program. And I think that's what Wofford is starting to do as well. I feel like because you said Thomas Walkup, I have to issue oh, yeah. a, issue a, a your apology. apology for uh, misidentifying him as Nathan Walkup 
um, in the in an article I wrote shortly after that win, which um, I, I asked you, I think I said, who's Nathan Walkup? And you're like, I don't know. And then I jog my brain. He did have an older brother named Nathan who played at Texas A&M in uh, the late the late zero zeros. So <laughs> so I wasn't all off. And it was Nathan Bain with that awesome story about the hurricane in the Bahamas and all the all the um, um, uh, donations he got afterwards. I still I got I guess I don't know how that story ended and if he was able to access them. I'm probably going off topic here, but I believe so, he ended up donating uh, okay. the bulk of that money. That's good. That's I'm really glad. a great story. Yeah, I'm glad the answer that the answer of the day didn't find a way to screw that. That was my trip even. But. What does it say about me or about the NTA that my first thought when I heard about that GoFundMe was, <laughs> what is the NTA going to do about this? Yeah. And that's probably was their first thought, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably So right. I had Nathan on the brain because of that, and then there was a Nathan. So anyways, Thomas Walkup is an absolute legend, obviously, and someone who writes stuff on midmajoramanus.com uh, should, should, should not get his name wrong. So. <laughs> I'll do a bunch of push-ups after this, as many as I well, can do, like five or six or something I'm, before I fall down, and then there you actually, go. Actually, I'm going to punish you right now, if that's okay. Okay, do it. Um, and I'm going to punish you by putting you on the spot, because mm-hmm. this is something I thought of um, a, a few minutes ago while while you were talking, oh, and I just I forgot to like interrupt you and ask you about it and yeah, completely okay. derail the conversation, yeah. so I'm just going to ask you now. Derail away. Um, you mentioned Northern Iowa's win. Was it Northern Iowa we were talking about at the time? I don't even remember. Did they beat Grand Canyon? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Northern Iowa's blowout win over Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. 82 to 58. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you about Grand Canyon because you're yeah. our whack guy. Like, looking at their roster, they should be better than four and eight. And that's what mm-hmm. they are right now. Uh, losses to teams like Fordham, IPFW, sorry, Purdue, Fort Wayne, uh, non-D1 Davenport. I mean, what is going on with Dan Marley's team, and is he on the hot seat? I I don't know. I mean, I'm not plugged in enough, if, if at all, to understand that. I mean, that's its own You're thing. You're a whack like guy. The, well, I am. I'm our whack guy for, what, another another four months, and then I'm our summit guy. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, though I will, the whack will always have a soft spot in my heart, even if it does not roll through Kansas City, uh, you know, every year anymore. But, um, you know, with the whole a uh, Colangelo a connection and, and how much of an icon he is in Phoenix and that he does, I guess, in name alone, there's a lot of value there. Um, I, I don't know if he's actually on the hot seat. I've seen some stuff on Twitter where, where people um, who are fans, you know, they think that he'd, he'd never, he'll ne- he'd never be, be um, he'd never leave involuntarily. Um, I, I don't know because you know they obviously have, have had some issues where they have uh, some uh, transfers, namely uh, Jalen Fisher. That um, it doesn't even look like he's with the program anymore. On something I saw because it um, he was not granted a waiver. Um, they have some other transfers that are going to be eligible at midseason. Uh, uh, Mikey Mikey Dixon from was he at St. John's? Um, he was at a smaller East Coast school and and you know was a really good player. Oscar Freyer hasn't played this year. So, so they've had some personnel issues, but um, the talent's there, and they just don't they, – they never have, have seemed to live up to the talent. Like Alessandro uh, Labor, he was the WAC preseason player of the year last year as a sophomore, um, had a huge freshman year. And then, yeah, he's a really good player, and he's having a, he's having a, good, a good year uh, this year, but he kind of regressed last year. And it's, it's things like that. And I, I think one thing that is, is certainly hurting them now and I think long-term is going to hurt them is that – you know, uh, they got they got a four star recruit out of, out of the state of Illinois, Tim Pinky, last year. Um, he was a wing. Um, he was a high school recruit, which was obviously really big. 
Um, he's gone now. He's transferred. Tamari uh, 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 Amilsed was another high school recruit um, point guard um, who was fairly highly regarded. It was going to be the point guard of the future. He, he was their starting point guard last year. He's since left. So there's been some defections there that have really hurt from from the overall depth perspective um, of, of kind of the, the guys that would, you know, uh, uh, be in the program for a long time. And I don't know. They just offensively, things, things don't things don't seem to work. They've been a much better defensive team under him, which is really not what you'd think. Um, and there's so much opportunity to whack this year that, you know, if they, they can really be a huge national story, you know, it'd be more than just a novelty of, Hey, their students show up. They really have no division one history, but they, they get really excited and they, they do it. They do dances and it's a really cool atmosphere. And that's what we know Grand Canyon for. Um, How long that too. Yeah. Yeah. They, Apparently, Malcolm in the Middle loves them, and that's a that's a that's a meme that we need to use. I agree, like a lot. Like that needs to be like in in the rotation. I think um, strong agree. But yeah, with with all the resources, and I know I'm not the first one to say this because I, I know there's been a lot of conversation, uh, you know, on this on on, on a, a college basketball Twitter the last few days. But you know, all those resources, um, you know, with the right coach, how how high can they fly, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's such a unique situation there. Yeah. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time left because I know you got to run. And also, I don't want to put another ad break in here. Um, mm. So uh, thank you for your whack minute. And that was like a whack five minutes. It was great. Thank you. See, now, now you've gotten me used to that. I'm going to expect that now. Oh, well. I'm sorry. created a monster. Well, Russ. so instead I'm going to ask you to talk about Colgate because you want to talk about yeah. your favorite ending of the season. And Oh boy, was this a great one? Yeah, that was, that is like the perfect ending for me. So for anyone who missed it, Colgate beat Cincinnati 67 to 66 on Saturday. Was that when that was? Uh, I yeah, I think so. Saturday. Yeah. So the days uh, together at this point, like what's, yeah, uh, and if you haven't seen this, please go find the clip. It's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm assuming most everybody that would listen this far into this podcast has probably seen it. Uh, but uh, so uh, Colgate has the ball with under ten slots, under ten seconds left. They tie it. Um, there, are, there are uh, Jerron uh, Cumberland takes the ball uh, from Cincinnati. He heaves up a half court shot in a tie game. With with what about four seconds left on the clock? Yeah, still? there was like there I was believe. more than four seconds. It was like four point something. Yeah, more than four. So that was a very weird decision when he probably could have gotten to the rim, maybe, yeah. but certainly like a floater. Um, anyway, so that 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 must be demoralizing. And then and then uh, uh, Colgate uh, gets the rebound. Cincinnati follows them on the rebound. They hit one free throw. They win. So the reason I find this so fascinating is because the way I watch a game as a fan is I always think about the, the worst thing that can happen. So for example, if, if uh, uh, my team's up by three and it, we're going into halftime, right. And the other team has the ball. I'm saying, okay, well at least at, you know, we'll, at, the, at the worst we'll be tied. And then I expect a four point play. Right. So this sort of thing was like for a Cincinnati fan, you had the game tying shot against a team you should beat. You're not doing that great. Okay. That really stinks, but Hey, we got, we're, we're not going to lose here. We're going to go to overtime if nothing else. Right. So running up, okay, we have a chance to win here. Nope, you take an ill-advised shot. Okay, well, at least you went overtime. Nope, you lost the game because you, you did the foul, which is like the most unthinkable thing. So it was just like a perfect, for like a pessimist that's a Cincinnati fan, that must have been like the most horrifying like four seconds of their life, and it was it was right there. Yeah, it was the it was it. the worst combination of things that could have happened. And I actually, I'm interested in reading 
you know, from like Cincinnati centric sites about this, because mm-hmm. from my very limited understanding, the relationship between Jerron Cumberland and John Brandon isn't the best. And I'm just interested in what is going on in Cumberland's head right now and sort of where everything stands after a game like that. I mean, I'm sure Cumberland didn't think there was as much time left, maybe didn't realize the score, whatever it was, which, you know, as your senior leader is inexcusable, but I'm sure that's what happened because there's no other explanation for it. And I'm just interested to hear what both sides said after the game, because I didn't actually read any of the postgame quotes or anything and just kind of where things go from here. Because Cincinnati still does have a lot of talent as a team, um, but things could really unravel. And I know we're not supposed to be talking about Cincinnati, but that's that's kind of the more interesting angle to me. Even though, you know, yeah. we, I think we, we've both acknowledged before, and I know we've acknowledged on this podcast, Colgate is a is a really good team for their league. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd flip that question on you, and you yeah. tell me, what is your favorite ending been this year? Well, okay, so I was thinking about this before we started. And if it's not Harold Frey, it's wrong. <laughs> I actually, no, the correct answer is Colgate. It's the game you just talked about. Mm-hmm. So instead, I wanted to yeah. give you the opposite, which is mm-hmm. the least favorite ending because okay. another, it happened again today. Um, twice this year now, uh, UNC Greensboro has lost on a half-court prayer. Um, and do you remember last year, I'm pretty sure it was Missouri state who had like just that awful penchant for losing in the most excruciating ways possible. Uh, yeah, no, that this that year it's right. been Greensboro and it, they were playing NC state <laughs> at home and they were tied and it was, it was beyond the half court line that the, uh, NC state guy threw up a prayer at the buzzer to win. And it was just it, another just gut wrenching loss. And it's especially bad for a Greensboro team that, honestly, if they took care of business in the SoCon, that's a good enough conference where they would have had a decent at-large argument, if not for these two terrible losses. Their only other loss was, you know, at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, which literally anybody mm-hmm. could do. Uh, they've, and that's a game yeah. they played well in. Yeah, they only well. lost by twelve, and they they beat Georgetown. And they have an opportunity now they play at uh, Vermont. That could be a good win. And then they play their SOCON schedule. Like, this could have been an NCAA tournament at-large team. And <laughs> But that, that's, I, I believe the first one happened at home, too. The right? Montana State game, yes, that was at home. Yes. 67-66. That's brutal. That yeah. one is inexcusable. NC State, you lose to NC State, fine. Even if it's in yeah. that, you know, really torturous way. You shouldn't be losing at home to Montana State. Yeah. And see, and that gets back to what I just said, because if I'm a Greensboro fan and I'm sitting there at that Montana State game and that happens and it, it, it's a punch in the gut and I say, well, at least I'm not going to see that happen does. again. And then there but, it is. But like the glass half full uh, vision after that Montana State game was, you know, yeah, we took a horrible loss. Those things happen. We have plenty more opportunities because we played Georgetown, NC State, Vermont, and then a good SoCon schedule. And then NC State comes in mm-hmm. and does the exact same thing to you. Yeah. It's just brutal. That's brutal. So um, is there anything else you wanted to add or should we get out of here? No, Gonzaga is oh, really good. Gonzaga so. is really, really good. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. I wish we had time to, like, dig into how they almost blew it against Arizona. 
uh, last night. That I was know, wild. Right? Yeah, but yeah. but hey, they won. Credit to them. Arizona is not an easy place to win. Um, so good for the Bulldogs. Anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening and say it every time, but I'm going to say it again. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Mid Major Madness podcast on iTunes, on wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Rate us, write a review. Um, if you write a review, maybe I'll give you a shout out on the podcast just because I want to see how many people are listening this far. I'm guessing it's like me when I edit this and that's it. What an, what an offer. But, yeah. Well, because that. I want to see if anyone actually listens. We haven't gotten a review in a long, long time. Spice it up. So I want to see, uh, what happens if, if we get one. So, you know, write us, write a review, whatever. It would be very nice of you. And for Greg Mitchell, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy this week of college basketball.